Well, hello, Crosswinds family. I am so grateful to be with you today, this last weekend in our Serenity series. Now, if you've walked with us these last several weeks, you know that we have taken a journey through some of the steps in the process of a transformed life. We began by looking at denial, and we had to recognize the toll that that takes on our life. If we want our future to look different, well, then we have to first acknowledge that something needs to change. The next area we looked at for ourselves was the need to believe. We need to believe that Jesus is who he claims that he is. Not only that, but we need to believe that he loves us. I need to believe that he loves me, and you need to believe that he loves you as well. And we need to believe that he has the ability, and not only the ability, but the desire to change our lives. We need to believe in him. And then along our journey, we had to recognize that we can't just stop the journey at believing that we want to change. We have to be willing, and we have to give our lives over now to our Lord and Savior. That includes our past. We have to give our past over as well as everything else, because to give it over to Jesus is to break the chains that have held us down for so long. So denial, belief in our one and only true higher power, Jesus Christ. And then submission, we had to submit to the changes that he wants to make in our life for our good and for his glory. Now, there are many more steps along the way in this process, but these first three are foundational in our recovery. Once we've done the hard work of walking through all of those Steps. We can now look back and we can see a story of a life that has been changed. So today, we're going to take a little bit of time and look at the importance of sharing those stories. Those stories take a dramatic turn, if you will, when our lives intersect with Jesus, the one true God. And so we continue to look today to God's word to consider what he has to say about the struggles that we will face in our life, but more importantly, what he teaches us about the remedy. What is the answer that we need to know to be able to come through those struggles? We can't always know what is up ahead, but the comfort comes in knowing that nothing is a surprise to God. I think how timely this series is for us today as we may look ahead with some uncertainty. But we must remember that the author, right, the author God, is not caught off guard. So together, we may continue to look to him for our comfort, for our direction, for our guidance as we walk together through these days ahead. Let me move directly into the first point I want to make as we start the idea of telling our stories. When our lives intersect with Jesus, it is life-changing. It's impossible, I think, for us to even begin to understand the magnitude of that first meeting because it's a powerful event. It's a transforming event. And again, it is a life-changing event event for us, not because of who we are, but rather because of who God is, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. 
Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 teaches us about what happens when our lives intersect with God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. To me, when I read that, it seems a graphic description. But when we intersect with Jesus through his word, it is living and it is active in our lives and in our souls. And it is graphic. This interaction that we have with his word changes who we are and we go right back to the point of today. It leaves a story that must be told. Listen to Psalm 66, 16. It says, come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. It's a story. Psalm 145, 4 through 7, and this is speaking of God. The author says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Again and again and again, we are taught throughout the word of God to share our stories for his glory. So we're going to start off today by looking at one particular story of transformation that we read in his word. And I'm going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 9. You can join me there if you like. And I want to share with any um, watching, of course, online today, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, technology is our friend in this aspect. You can download a number of different free apps that will bring the Bible right to your phone, uh, right to your iPad, and you'll be able to follow along with me. So I invite you to do that even for the first time today. Before we dig in, I'm going to share a couple of details with you. And this is going to be the story of Saul. It's a story about the transformation of this man called Saul. Saul's story takes place not too long after Jesus' death and resurrection. Saul, we are told, was a Pharisee. And that means he was a part of this Jewish sect who were very educated and very um, uh, experts in the Jewish law, if you will. So Saul himself was highly educated and well-esteemed among his peers. Saul was also a man, however, who had a true vendetta against the Christians. He would call them the people who followed the way. He would see these followers of Jesus as a definite affront to his Jewish traditions and laws. Scripture also tells us that Saul was zealous, so much so that he went to his superiors, the high priests, and, and at that time, he requested a formal document that would allow him authority to go out and begin to per- persecute Christians wherever he would find them. Now, he had already caused a lot of harm to Christians in Jerusalem, so they began to scatter, but that didn't stop Paul. He also traveled to be able to find them. He finds himself on the road to a town called Damascus. This city is about 135 miles away from Jerusalem, and he desires to continue his persecution to the people who follow the way or to the Christians who have gone to Damascus. And he was on his way to do just that when we read about his interaction with Jesus himself. 
So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, as we mentioned earlier, it is a powerful event when our lives intersect with Jesus. So powerful in this case that those around Saul were left speechless. And for Saul, the encounter would leave him, this man, remember, of power, completely in control, the leader, if you will, no longer leading, but needing the men that were with him to guide him, for he could not see, he had to be led. And so for three days, he wouldn't eat, and for three days, he would remain blind. I ask you to imagine your own life. One minute you're powerful and you're leading the change for a cause that you believe is so important. The next minute, literally minute, you are brought to your knees as you recognize the one truth that you thought you knew was wrong. Will you listen to the voice? Will you listen with your heart? Will you soften your heart to hear that truth? Saul's story continues. The Lord calls on a disciple named Ananias to go and lay hands on Saul to pray over him and to heal him. I'm starting again in chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. This was not good news for Ananias. Listen as we go on. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. When Saul's life intersected with Jesus, nothing would remain the same. Saul's name would even be changed 
to Paul. And he would go on to write many of the books that we find in the New Testament. I love how God refined and used that zealous personality that Paul had, right? He refined it and he used it for his good plan and his good purpose. So whatever you think you have done, God is bigger. Paul knew this fact. He understood it now. And his life would change. His life would change because it was bigger than he could ever have imagined this time that he met with his Lord and Savior, bigger than he could ever have imagined or accomplished on his own. To me, that is the magnitude of God's amazing grace, and it's available to us today. So Paul, as we will call him forward, knew the importance of sharing his story, past and present. I find that so important, especially for us today. Paul didn't hide from who he was. He didn't hide because he knew that his transformation was not in his own power. It would have been unimaginable. But rather, it was only by God's grace that it became unmistakable in his life. Paul's testimony to the transformation of his life was used by God not only in his own lifetime as he spoke to people, but it continues to be used by God today in our lifetime. Paul knew that his story was not his own. Likewise, we must recognize that our stories are not our own either, but rather they are opportunities to share the hope that we have found in Christ. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The story of Paul's conversion is powerful, but it's not the only one. There are many more throughout the pages of Scripture, some less dramatic, but none less important. Each of you listening right now has a story to tell, maybe less dramatic, but none less important. That encounter for Paul was not the end of the story because he had things he had to work through. He had to work through things like hang-ups, like the hatred that he had for Christians. He had to work through some of the hurts that he had caused to those very people, and he had to get rid of some bad habits. Everyone has dealt with struggle. Everyone has dealt with hurts, habits, and hang-ups in their own life. Sometimes because of our own choices. Sometimes because of the choice of others in our life. The tragedy comes, however, when those hurts, those habits, and those hang-ups keep us at bay. We remain chained inside our own circumstances. I want to share with you right now that we may not be gathered here on campus right now, but wherever you are, in your homes, in your cars, as you're listening um, today, you are no farther from God's healing hand wherever you might be, wherever you are watching and listening. Because our physical location does not matter. Rather, it's about the location of our heart when we intersect with Jesus. The days we are in right now of all time need those stories 
of hope, those stories that are big and those stories that are small, because there's no better time than right now to be able to share them with someone else. Paul didn't fear sharing his story because, again, it wasn't about him. It was about God. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about what he had accomplished. It wasn't about who he was in society. It was about what God had done in him to prepare him for the work that he would do through him. There was an important story that needed to be shared. In Christ, we have the freedom from our past and the hope from our future because Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for Paul, but it paid the price for you. It paid the price for me. In Christ, we have that freedom. So when you share your story, it gives that same hope to another because Jesus, has the, Jesus offers new life to each and every one of us. But there's more because when you tell your story, it also continues the healing process in your own life because you are no longer bound, chained at bay because of the secrets that are in your life. Paul was a changed man, no longer held down. Paul was known well in the circles that he traveled. His past was not a secret, but God used him anyways. And it's amazing to me because God used him anyways right in the life of the very people he persecuted. When we have read a few paragraphs in the Bible, sometimes we think, well, maybe that transformation happened overnight. And don't get me wrong, I think it was a miraculous meeting that Paul had with his Savior. It was spectacular. But it was just the beginning for Paul. Because our story of change takes a lifetime. Paul learned and grew throughout his life, every day bringing him closer and closer to Jesus. Transformation takes time, and it takes a daily commitment. Listen to what Paul teaches us when he wrote this letter to Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this verse in Roman teaches us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The idea of that living sacrifice means living a sacrificial lifestyle as a continual experience. It is ongoing. It is moment by moment. It is every day. Every morning when I wake, am I ready and willing to lay aside what the world has taught me as important and rather rely on God's good plan and purpose? Am I willing to lay aside my hurts for his comfort? Am I willing to lay aside my habits, those temporary fixes, for his true healing? Am I willing to lay aside those destructive hang-ups, the unforgiveness, the selfish ambitions, my fears, my idols, in order to rely on what God has for me? Every day, am I willing? Am I willing, as in Paul's case, to give up my truth, what I think I know, for the real truth? the only truth, the life-changing truth. I think one point we must address here is that Paul was not an unhappy man after receiving Jesus Christ, after giving his life over 
to the ministry of his Lord. This is because his definition of happy had not changed. No longer was he happy because of what he could achieve or because who he was in society. When his life intersected with Jesus, those scales fell from his eyes. We read that earlier. Literally, he could see life from the perfect truth, from the real truth. Listen to what he says as he comes toward the end of his ministry, when he recalls all that God has called him to, knowing it was a continual work, a daily commitment in his life. This is in Acts 20, 24. He says, but I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. I read that and I think, what a change this man has gone through. He goes on, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The work of the Holy Spirit is a progressive work in our lives every single day. We have a ministry here at Crosswinds called Celebrate Recovery. And as we follow these current guidelines to stop the spread of the coronavirus, it's true we are unable to meet in person on our Friday nights. But I just want to share with you, if if you have any questions or if you want to learn more about this community, this confidential community um, that we gather together in every Friday night, I ask you to simply text the letters CR. Again, celebrate recovery, but just text the letters CR to 332-2218. That's 585-332-2218. And we'll get some information with you because we may not be able to gather, but we want to connect with you still, even through this time. In Celebrate Recovery, we make a continual choice to see life not from the chains that have held us back, not looking at life from the clouded view as as though looking through our secrets. Rather, we choose to be free and move ahead with what God has in store for us. Now, I'm sure that Paul had regrets. But what if Paul had lived only in his regrets? What if Paul had remained chained to his past? What would his life have looked like? His life intersected with Jesus, and he accepted God's grace fully for all that he had done, all that he would do through this transformation. And then he told his story, not only through his words, but through his changed life through the newfound love that he had for others, even those he had been persecuting. There was a love that he had for God's children. It it required courage and vulnerability and hard work, but the change was worth it. Paul could not walk in shame from his past and be used by God. Rather, he had to accept God's grace and humbly walk with purpose the purpose that God had laid out for him. It's freedom from our past. Now, we too can tell our stories in that same freedom. First, because healing has been set free for us by the giving up of those secrets from our past. And second, because as we have seen with Paul, God will continue to use that story in the life of others, those we may never meet. When we're ready to share our story, we refer to step 12 in Celebrate Recovery. It says, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all of our affairs. Now, sharing our story is just one step in that process. Because again, we are always 
transforming. Our stories at any given time will reflect, I love to use this idea, a snapshot of the work that God is doing in our life, even as that, at that moment. Our stories are a snapshot of God's grace. Tomorrow brings new challenges. And God continues to peel away our struggles one layer at a time. It's though each time we, we are firm on one step, he begins to reveal the next so we can make our way up and the next so we can continue making our way up on that journey. Sharing our story is not the final step. Instead, we might consider our story as a pause in the process as we continue along the road of his grace. And so you share some of that story with others. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about God and what he has done in your life. So what about the listener? Testimonies must be heard from a personal perspective. What does that mean? How can I listen from a personal perspective if I have not endured some of the struggles that that particular individual is speaking of? Well, the details may not be the same, but the steps taken in each testimony are common in all of our lives. We must come out of denial. We must believe. We must give it over to him. We must work through the change process. So when someone shares their story, their responsibility is to be humble, is to be honest, is to give the glory to God, and to remember that they are not finished. There is more to come. But what's your responsibility? What is the listener's responsibility? The listener's responsibility is to listen to what God has done and now consider what it means for your life. What changes are waiting in your life? What is your next step? What is keeping you chained? Your responsibility is not to think of what your neighbor needs to do. How often do I do that when I'm sitting beside someone hearing a message that I can take to heart? No, it's not about your neighbor. It's about you. What is God trying to share with you as you hear about this story of transformation in the life of another? And so now that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to follow God's command to share what he has done in our lives with others. It's time to carry this message to the world. I have invited a good friend of mine, Evan, up, and he's going to share with us a piece of the story that God has worked in his life. And so I invite you to join me as we listen together. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. My name is Evan. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a recovering alcoholic who has been sober for over six years. I'm also recovering from depression, codependency, sexual addiction, and working on many others. Let me start with a little background. When I was one day old, I was adopted by my parents after a college student became pregnant and gave me up for adoption. I have one sister who is 10 years older, and I do not see her very much. As a child, I was very hyper and started to become very disrespectful. I started to see a psychiatrist, and during one of my sessions, my mother actually said she wanted to get me back due to my behaviors. This hurt really bad and made me stop and think about what I had done. I asked the doctor, how can I change my behavior? He said I had high blood sugar and needed to remove sugar from my diet. I wanted to never hear those words again. 
So I modified my diet and lowered my sugar intake. This helped, but this was not the answer. When we lived in Scottsdale, Arizona, my father owned a discotheque, and I would go there just after opening. I thought it was a big deal, dancing with the waitresses, sitting at the bar, spinning the vinyl with the DJ. I would drink non-alcoholic mixed drinks, and I thought it was cool. This was my first introduction to the alcohol and to the party scene. My father sometimes would become very upset, and this is where I learned of his hot temper. I would see this often in the future, but he would never physically become violent with anyone. His temper scared me and kept me on edge, and later I could see where this was an effect when I reached conflict. When I was about 13, he suffered a heart attack, and it scared me horribly. I could not see living without my parents. I'd pray several times a day for God to keep my parents around as I loved them very much. As for religion, my father was Jewish and my mother was converted to Judaism, but she would talk to me about Christianity. I knew who Jesus Christ was and understood his conflicted, I'm sorry, understood his sacrifice, but was conflicted on believing in him. I learned a lot about how religion was important in our daily lives, even though it wasn't always reflected in our actions. As I was growing up, I met many women and tended to have many more girlfriends than guy friends. At age 11, I was at my mom's best friend's house and she had two daughters age 11 and age 16. The older daughter asked if I want to learn something new and fun. This was my first introduction to physical relationships and I was totally unprepared in every way for this. I see it as a start to what I would later understand as sexual addiction. We continued to visit their home every couple weeks and into high school and for many years where I had many other unhealthy relationships. After graduating high school, I enlisted in the Air Force and served for 21 years. As an aircraft mechanic, I was required to fly with my aircraft. It was a heavy responsibility that I took very, very seriously. We would spend the night in many different cities and in many different countries. The weight of the responsibility was difficult, and I continued to damage myself with excessive alcohol, poor food choices, and many unhealthy relationships. I was married three times while in the military and distant. Every time something would start to become tough, I would stand away. While deployed on Sundays, I would go to church service and pray for my troops that I was with and my family back home. I'm embarrassed to say the only time while stateside that I was in the church on base was for a memorial service for a fallen airman or the Christmas donation time. Throughout this period, I prayed several times a day, especially for my parents. My father's health was declining and he had several heart attacks. It wasn't, however, until a friend was diagnosed with cancer. He tried to beat the brain cancer it went away, but it came back a couple months later. I then became very mad at God. A few months later, I was called home as my father was diagnosed with lung cancer. I prayed to God and was very distraught. How could I lose another person to cancer? I was called home a couple months later to say goodbye to him. It was a very tough time for me. I felt surrounded by pain. It was during this visit that my sister informed us that she had breast cancer. How could it get any more difficult but it could. On that day, I had to make one of the hardest choices for the whole family. I felt total love for my father, and I still didn't know how I was able to request he be removed from life support. I prayed to God, and he gave me the peace to make the right decision. My sister is still upset with me to this day. At age 37, prior to retirement, I lost my mother to natural causes. She was only 63 years old. I was starting to think maybe it was me becoming a black cloud. I was still mad at God, but I wanted to understand why my life in particular was unfair. I would retire from the Air Force after a couple months later and could not adapt very well to civilian life. 
A few years later, I decided to take charge of my life. I opened a quick service restaurant. My restaurant was given several rewards, and I was working 16-hour days. When things got stressful, it was easier to treat. So I started distancing myself from my family and began drinking a lot again. I moved out of the house, asked for a divorce, began having many unhealthy relationships leading to my downward spiral. I would use Evan's will and not God's will, and I thought I was invincible. In one night, I would make a very bad choice. That choice destroyed my family, my business, totally changed another person's life, and what I thought was the rest of my life. I would lose a year and a half of my freedom. I was at the lowest point in my life. Who could I be mad at? Only myself. While incarcerated, I would pray several times a day and attend an AA meeting that was more spiritual-based, similar to what CR is. After my release, and even after all my bad choices and the disrespect I showed my wife, my friends, and my family, they still cared about me and asked me to get help. They stood by me through this whole process. I tried several times to enter recovery, but I was unable to find a program that made me feel safe. I was, however, taking some action. I was completing a mental health intern at the VA, one-on-one session. I tried to get basic answers one day, and she got in my space and said, cut the garbage. You want to fix others? It makes you feel good. You can't help others until you help yourself. Now start putting effort into your recovery. I know you're a good person, and I know you can do it. That day, day, I decided I need to put all things aside and work on me. But I still felt destined to fail. I knew I needed help in recovery. I prayed to God for the answer. A few months later, I was dating that wonderful person who is now my wife, Beth. I would then meet a couple who helped me feel real and safe. Greg and Wendy at that moment became part of my forever family. We were at the races, maybe an unlikely place to talk about the future, but not for my new friends. We were talking about my life, and Greg asked if I'd ever attended to celebrate recovery. I said a few times, but I had not returned. He invited me to give it a try again. I was overwhelmed that day with the feeling of God's love. I realized I needed help on this journey, and that it was not meant to be done alone. The hurts that I experienced in my youth led to some bad choices, but that did not have to define my future. I started attending CR on a weekly basis and began volunteering to participate in different aspects of the worship service. When I first attended Celebrate Recovery, I was in the newcomer's briefing, and the leader had said to me, this is a great program. Take the steps at your pace, but you must believe in Jesus Christ to seriously work your recovery. After hearing the truth of God's promises taught through lessons and listening to live testimonies, I started to see the will of God at work. Proverbs 27:17: iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. I started to turn my life over to Jesus Christ. As I continued my 12-step program, I began to understand my life, working on my hurts, hang-ups, and habits. My sponsor and my accountability partners were there to support me, but they were also there to challenge me when I started to fail. I was now creating a great relationship and changing the way I live. I thank God and not only recognized his love for me, but I told him how much I loved him. God listens to my prayers and he loves me even through the sins of my life. I am now able to show others that a broken man can turn his life over to Jesus Christ and experience changes in a life that makes me a Christian who loves Jesus and willing to serve in the name of God. I no longer go to God in emergency mode. I no longer go to God depressed and mad at the world. I can now slow down and understand that God's will provides positive results where Evan's will will provide negative results. Recovery takes time and I will always be in recovery and it will become a part of my life forever. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and, I'm sorry, he will hate the one and love the other 
or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Thank you for letting me share today. Thank you, Evan. I know Evan's story, and I am so grateful to be able to have walked alongside him on this journey as we walk together, two different journeys, um, but yet um, with the same goal in mind to be with our Lord and Savior. I can tell you that Evan will continue to face challenges just as I will continue to face challenges. There will be mistakes. There will be questions along the way. He isn't finished yet, but God has already begun peeling those layers away to reveal the person God has called Evan to be. And part of those layers are humility and courage and vulnerability and the willingness to share the snapshot of his story with you for God's glory because it's important. And let me just go out on a limb and tell you that your story is important as well. Whatever God has done in your life should be shared for the glory of our Savior, for the glory of God. Someone listening to your story will relate because it isn't about you. Remember, it's about God and the work that he is doing. We are all different. We all have hurts. We all have habits and hang-ups. But will we allow God to peel those away to reveal his plan and his purpose for our life? How can you keep the grace of God a secret? He changed your life. We must tell those stories. As we close today, I ask you, maybe you are meeting Jesus right now, right in this very moment. Maybe your life is intersecting with him now. Maybe your story is about to take a dramatic turn. If that is you, I encourage you to enter with both feet. I encourage you to reach out either to us online or to reach out to a friend or a family member as you begin this journey or to text CR to that number, 332-2218, because we want to walk alongside you on your journey. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that your grace is sufficient. We thank you for the stories that you have given to us. And Lord, we ask for the courage now that we may share them with another. We thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to guide us, not leave us where we are, stuck in those chains, but to love us and to bring us to freedom. So like Paul, like Evan, like many others, Lord, we can begin to share that story and use it for your glory, not to remain in our shame, but to look forward and walk forward in your purpose. And if there's anyone even listening right now who is about to take that step, about to have an encounter with you, Lord, we just lift them up to you and we thank you that you reach your hand out to every one of us, no matter where we are listening from, even today. Would you guide their heart? Would you direct them and show them the joy and the hope and the future that you have? We love you. We lift this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.